Welcome to Doing Time with Joe. I'm your host, Joe Baker, back again with another episode, y'all. And this is rival number six. In rival five, Chris Jr. had just been released from juvenile. His father, Chris Sr., called him to see how he was doing, only to be disrespected by him, setting the stage for their eventual showdown. The story you are about to hear is true. The names, places, and affiliations have been changed to protect the privacy of the actual, actual participants. This is their story. There's gotta be some way to stop this vicious cycle. Death to all my rivals, death to all my rivals. Success to my affiliates and all my idols. But death to all my rivals, death to all my rivals. There's gotta be some way to stop this vicious cycle. Death to all my rivals, death to all my rivals. Success to my affiliates and all my idols. But death to all my rivals, death to all my rivals. One of ours, we kill one of yours. It's a vicious cycle. Money and drugs up in the mix just keeps the interest heightened. It's on sight. So when I catch you, clash up the titans. If I can't shoot you, I'ma fight you. Knuckle up a knife you. Cause in my hood, yo, it's all about survival. Watching my opposition through the crosshairs of a rifle. Dog light, it wasn't enough crack to let the light through. Welcome to doing time with Joe. We'll show up out the rivals. Dear Joe, it's official. My son hates me. All that's left now is the clash. My son is into everything. He's moving up fast in the ranks of the vice lords. I know it's only a matter of time before he finds his way into the system. Exactly 24 months after his release from juvenile, he's graduated to the big leagues. It was all over the news. The headline on the news read, Young leader of violent street gang, known as Vice Lords, is charged with the murder of two rival gang members. As I watched the news, my heart sank. Looking at the picture of a mugshot of my son with a smile on his face, I started to cry. I knew that my son, the little boy that used to call me daddy, now called me his enemy, was headed this way. It took about a year for the trial to take place. At the trial, he testified that two gangster disciples were trying to rob him. So in self-defense, he shot and killed them, both in the back of the head. The state produced a witness, one of his vice lord brothers, who testified that he shot and killed them execution style because he wanted to send a message to the gangster disciples. The jury took less than one hour to find him guilty of two counts of first-degree murder and kidnapping. He was sentenced to two life sentences plus 50 years in prison. When I called his mother, she was crying and screaming at me, saying it was all my fault. I didn't tell her, but I agreed with her. Somehow, this was all my fault. Before she hung up the phone, she said, it's your turn to be a father, a parent. Don't let them kill my son. I had no response for her. I just hung up the phone because I knew that it was going to be either him or me that would die. Within a few days, I started receiving letters from brothers all over the state asking me what to do about this, little, this situation with little Chris. My response was the same. For any threat to the org, deal with it accordingly. The fact that he was my son couldn't matter. The brothers around me knew I was struggling. I couldn't eat or sleep. Every day, I wanted to hear the news 
that he had been shipped from the county jail to the prison. I was waiting for that. Finally, it happened. He was transferred to prison, the same prison I was in. The captain and the lieutenant, they called me to the office and told me that the Department of Corrections had decided to put him in the prison with me because they thought it would be safer for him and me. When the bus pulled up, I saw him get off, chained and shackled. My heart sank. Even though I knew that my son hated me and that if given the right circumstances, he might even kill me, it hurt me to see my only child in handcuffs. For a minute, I thought if I could just talk to him face to face, maybe he would listen. But deep down in my heart, I knew better. As he walked into the orientation building surrounded by officers, he turned to look behind him. I was about 50 feet away from him, but we locked eyes. When he recognized me, he spit on the ground. That's when I knew that I might have to kill my own son. Joe, you can't imagine how I felt. My brother saw the same thing. My chief of security tapped me on the shoulder and said, let's go, bro. We need to figure out our next move. My COS was a real killer. He was loyal to the business. And even though Chris was my son, he wouldn't hesitate to put a KOS on him. At the meeting, we discussed what we would do. Should we make a preemptive move or wait on him to make a move? Under any other circumstances, we would make the first move. So I stuck to the script. I said, we move first. But I wanted to try to talk to him first. He reluctantly agreed. I had 14 days to figure out my next move. It would take the administration that long to process him to put him out on the compound. The days flew by. I don't think I slept at all, really. He was to be released and put in Unit 5. I was in Unit 6. I sent a message to him telling him to meet me at the fence at 6 o'clock. He agreed. Six o'clock came and I was escorted to the fence. He was surrounded by about 20 brothers, all of them anxious for blood to spill. I was surrounded by just about, about the same number. The tension was in the air. When I got to the fence, we just stared at each other. I didn't want to speak first. I wanted him to look me in the eyes and see my heart. I wanted him to hear my heart saying, I love you, son. I wanted him to feel me. I couldn't say what I wanted to say in front of my brothers because this was about life taken by a vice lord. So I couldn't say to him, I love you. I needed him to look at me and feel what I was feeling in my heart. His first words were, when do we do this? I looked at him, shook my head and said, whenever you want to. Then I turned and walked away. As we walked back down to the unit, I started laughing. My COS asked me, what was I laughing about? I said he blinked. Before I got locked up, whenever little Chris wanted me to play with him or pick him up, he would blink his eyes real fast, all in excitement, 
Like he was happy to see his daddy. You know what I'm saying? So when I told him we could do this whenever he wanted to, he looked at me and blinked. I knew then that I had a chance of reaching him, but I had to think fast. Because even if we reconciled some kind of way, the fam would still want his head for killing those two brothers. That was going to be a problem. How do I explain to the entire organization that my son, a vice lord, did not deserve to die because he had killed two brothers? Anybody else, including me, if I would have done that without the right permission, then off with my head. So, of course, it has to be off with his head. He's a vice lord. He's the opposition. He's the enemy. But something in me was telling me that I could reach him. Something in me was telling me that he had made all of these decisions, these bad decisions, because of me. Because he wanted to know if I loved him. Why wasn't I there for him? As a child, you know, when he was a child, I tried to explain these things to him. He didn't understand. And that pain on top of pain on top of pain built a wall around his heart. And here we go with the vice lords. They showed him something that I couldn't do because I wasn't there. So he joined them. But I just saw it. I just saw it in his eyes when he looked at me and he blinked. He said what he said. I said what I said. But he loves me. I know it. I feel it. And I got to figure out how I can reach him before either one of us has to die. The time has come. I, I got to figure out something, like I said before. But Joe, it's difficult because no matter what decision I make, somebody's going to want blood. You got the vice lords. They want blood because they're trying to send a statement. And they're trying to do it using my son. He just doesn't see it that way. The brothers, the folks, they want blood because two members of the organization were killed by my son. But I saw something in him. I'm not saying it was right what he did. I'm just saying that I saw that blink, that same thing that he used to do as a child. I don't know if he even realizes what he was doing, but that's his tale. That's his tale. His daddy picked me up. Dad, I want to play. Basically saying, Daddy, I want, I need your attention. Pay attention to me. He did that at that fence. Now, it's time for me to be a parent. I know this is unconventional. I know this is not what a parent is supposed to do. But I have to find a way in this lifestyle, in this madness that I live, that he lives, to find a way to save him. I know he hates me, and like I said, if given the opportunity, he might try to kill me. But we're gonna see. So what I did, I convened a meeting of all of my heads, my chief of security, the secretary, the treasurer. I got all of them in the room, and I discussed it with them. These guys I trust with my life. So I told them the truth. I told them what I saw at the fence. I told them what I was trying to figure out. 
And this is the plan that I hatched. As crazy as it sounds. I told them that I wanted to figure out how to save my son's life. And the best solution that I could come up with is to make everybody understand that this is between me and my son. And that no matter what, I was going to do right by GD. No matter what. And if that required me to beat my son within an inch of his life, not kill him, but beat him within an inch of his life, so that he would have to be on protective custody for the duration of his sentence, then that's what I would do. At least he'd be alive. That was my plan. I know he's younger than me and he's stronger than me, but he doesn't have hands like me. At least I don't think so. I hope so. <laughs> but at the end of the day, that was my plan. But how do I make something like this happen? How do I bring that about? Because I am certain that the administration knows about our meeting because they got informants. They got informants in both organizations. I know that. But like you used to tell me all the time, Joe, this is about chess, not checkers. So what I'm going to do is figure out my next move and make my next move my best move. And that's what I'm going to figure out. At the end of the day, this is what I came up with. I'm going to get the person that I believe that's the informant to make sure they tell the administration that I am going to fight my son one-on-one -on -one so that this doesn't become an all-out war. But I'm going to tell them the wrong time. And my brothers that I was in the room with, they're going to back me up on that. Because we don't know, we don't want them to come and stop it. Because if they stop it, it's going to drag on and it's going to turn into a fallout war. And I got some brothers in GD that want my son dead. They want him dead. And I know some brothers in Vice Lord that want me dead. So we got to figure out a way to stop this. So I got in touch with the head of the Vice Lords. And I got him to agree to this. So now me and my son are going to go head up one-on-one. -on -one, and it's going to get brutal. The day is here. We're at the sale. It's a big sale. Like, every sale is not the same size. The majority of them are, but it's always two sales in the unit that we live in that are big. There used to be offices, but they converted them to sales when they started double bunking. So this is the sale that we're going to use. It's a neutral sale. Before I go in, my family's going to pat me down, and then the vice lord's going to pat me down, and it's going to be the same with my son. They're going to pat him down, and then my brothers are going to pat him down to make sure that we don't have any weapons. This is Imano Imano, hand on hand. And he agreed to it. Foolish, though. He thinks it can take me. So we went into the room, and I tried to tell him that this is the best I could come up with. He looked at me like, what are you talking about? He doesn't understand what I'm saying, but he will. Because after I beat him, I want him to understand I'm going to tell him that this is the best thing that I could do to keep him alive. 
So we're going at it. We're fighting. It's brutal. Lick for lick, blow for blow. He's standing toe to toe with me. We're going at it. I look up. Out of the corner of my eye, I can see my brothers and the vice lords both. All of them are looking in the cell. Everybody's yelling, kill him, kill him. They're saying this to both of the vice lords are saying it to him. And my brothers are saying it to me. Kill him, kill him. And when you look at them, when I looked at them, Joe, I saw wild dogs. They were like wild animals encouraging and pushing us on, yelling and getting us excited, trying to get us to kill each other. And that was one of those moments, man, where I realized that this lifestyle doesn't love anybody, doesn't love me, doesn't love my son, all the sacrifices that we've made to it, all the things that have happened to us in our lives about it. It's all about death and destruction. And this is what these brothers were begging us to do to each other. They kept going and going and going. And my son was getting the best of me until he slipped. He slipped in some blood and sweat. And I caught him with an uppercut. Sent him reeling back. I'm on him. I'm choking him. I'm kneeing him in his side. I can see the wind being knocked out of him. I see the fear in his eyes. I can smell it coming out of his mouth. The fear. He feels like he's going to lose. He doesn't know that I'm doing this to save him. I'm beating him to save him. That's how sick this life is. Now he's up against the wall. All of a sudden, the door opens. Somebody, I couldn't tell who it was. They toss a butcher in there. I turn, and that moment that I turned, that second that I turned to look to see what hit the floor, my grip came loose. And my son jumped and he ran. And he grabbed a hold of the knife. And now the tables had turned. And he said to me, I'm going to kill you. I hate you. And just hearing him say those words to me, it broke me. I had nothing left in me. I had nothing left in me. I didn't want to die. I didn't want to die. But I knew I couldn't turn my back on him. And I knew that the door wasn't going to open until one of us was down. I looked at the door and I saw vice lords and gangsters standing side by side, eyes wide open. Nobody coming to aid. Nobody. I couldn't help but wonder who threw the knife in. Was it my brothers? Was it the vice lords? Whoever it was, nobody was complaining outside the cell. Nobody was fighting. They were just watching us to see who was going to come out alive. My son rushed me, and he swung at me. I jumped back. He barely misses my chest, swinging wildly. I noticed he doesn't know how to handle a pocket knife. But who cares about that? It's sharp. I see it. And if he gets me, it's going to hurt. He swings again and misses me. But he's backing me down. I'm no, no room, nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. It's the wall in me. I'm trying to spin him so I don't get pent on the wall. It's not working. He's cutting me off. Every time I take a step left, he swings. Every time I take a step right, he swings. I can't let him hit me. 
can't be hit with that pocket knife. I know it's going to kill me. And if it doesn't kill me immediately, then he'll be able to get me down. But eventually, I get tired. And as I get tired and lose my breath, I start accepting my fate. This is it. My son was going to get what he wanted. He was going to kill me. And then his life would be over. He already had two life sentences plus. But any chance he had on appeal was gone if he kills me. And even if he never gets out of prison, he's going to have to be in protective custody for the rest of his life because he killed me. So I rushed him. I rushed him. And I let him stick me. I guided the knife in his hand to try to keep it away from hitting my heart and my chest. I felt it going to my side. And as I held his hand and I poured it to me in my side, I saw him look at me when my eyes got big, tears rolling down my face. It had gotten real for him. He wanted me to die, but he, now that he was looking at it, he was seeing it, his eyes told a different story and he started to blink. And while he was blinking, I looked at him and I told him, it's okay. It's going to be okay. I felt his hand loosen the grip on the knife. I collapsed right in front of him. When I fell to my side, the lights started to get dim. He stood over me, but I saw his face. He was crying. Blood was running down his mouth, but I saw his eyes. He looked at me, standing over me. This is what he wanted, or so he thought. But he didn't understand what was going on. He didn't really understand none of it. All he was was a poor little boy that was abandoned by his father, raised by his mother in the streets around prostitution, drugs, and gangs his whole life. And this was his reward, watching his father slip away at his own hand. All of his hatred, all of his anger, all of his fear was being answered today. It was all laying on the floor, blood everywhere. I heard the door open. They rushed in. My brothers grabbed me, drug me on the floor. They're like, get out of the way, get out of the way, everybody get out of the way. I reached down and I pulled the pocket knife out and I watched the blood jump from my side. And it, the pain, the burning pain I felt I grabbed my side with my hand, and as they were dragging me by my collar, I saw my son just standing there, surrounded by his vice lords. They, they were patting him on his back, telling him that he had done the right thing. And as they pulled me around the corner and I saw him for the last time, I passed out.
when they got me to the front door, my brother said, pick him up, pick him up. They got me to my feet. Two of them got up under me. They lifted me up and they were running towards the clinic. When I got to the clinic, I was out. I was out. All I was thinking about was my son. Would he be okay? I told my COS, said it's over now, man. It's over. No retaliation. That was the deal. No retaliation. He said, we got you folks, we got you folks. I said, no retaliation. Don't let them kill my son. And he looked me in my eyes and he gave me his word. On GD, bro. On, G, on GD. Nothing gonna happen to him. It's over now. As they put me on the gurney and wheeled me out, I didn't know if I would be back or not, but I knew that this was going to be ugly. They got me to the hospital. I lost my kidney. I was in the hospital for a couple of weeks. When they brought me back to the prison, the warden said that my son had been put out protective custody and it wouldn't be any time soon that he'd be getting out. I looked at him and didn't respond. Because in some ways, even though he had no idea why all of this came about, I blamed him because he was part of the system. But at the end of the day, it was all my fault. It was all my fault. That's why I say to you, Joe, people talk about this lifestyle and they want it. They don't want it. This is not real. This lifestyle is phony. I got the scars to prove it. I got the scars to prove it. But on the bright side, my son wrote me and he apologized. I've never told anybody that. He's trying to get it right. I hope he does. This concludes the series Rivals. I hope that you've enjoyed it and I've hoped that, I hope that you've learned something from it. This has been Doing Time with Joe. I'm your host, Joe Baker. And I say peace, y'all.